Welcome to Gardening Talk, back on 2NURFM, Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp once again. Scott, great to see you back in the studio. Thank you. It's uh, very good to be back here, a little bit milder outside, which is nice compared to the last week and some of the days we've had. Oh, it's not going to be mild tomorrow, though. What's happening tomorrow? It's be a sweat fest tomorrow, mate. I, I was listening to your weather report just then. <laughs> what have you got for us today, Scott? Well, I thought we'd talk about some tropical plants. They're sort of good to get in now and have in the garden here in Newcastle, and i Get them in early, and I'll explain that later on. And one of those is the poinciana, and the other one is the climbing frangipani. Really fantastic plants. Excellent. Now, Scott, you mentioned a poinciana's bit before. Yeah, poinciana. They are a beautiful tree. Now, I've got to have a bit of a proviso here because I'm always bagging out on the jacaranda. Yep. But the poinciana sort of looks like the jacaranda. It's about as big, and it spreads out like the jacaranda, but it's got a much nicer colour to the foliage. It's a darker green. It's got... Uh, red flowers. Uh, it will grow down here in Newcastle. Most people see it up around Brisbane and up in the tropical areas and they come back and they go, oh, I really want one of those plants. And they are a really beautiful plant and you can grow them down here. Oh, the, the thing is that uh, to start off uh, as a young plant, they can be a little bit uh, susceptible to the, the frost and the cold down here in Newcastle. Once they get established, uh, all well and good and off they go. Uh, so I guess for that, that's why I'm saying get them in now, nice and early at right. this time of the just year. before summer kicks in. Yes, rather than waiting until February and going, oh, isn't it humid? I've, you know, I've just been up to the Sunshine Coast and I want to get a poinciana in, into the ground because then you're only getting a couple of months where it's growing and it's acclimatising itself down here to Newcastle. So try and get one in as early as possible. They can be difficult to find in the garden centres, but most places will be able to order them in and uh, get them for you. Again, you do need a fair whack of space in your garden if you're going to plant one. How big? Oh, again, a fair, you know, like a pretty big front yard or backyard. And right, yeah. you probably don't want it overhanging your, your house as far as its leaves go again. And maybe some patient neighbours as well. Or... That as well. But <laughs> they are a beautiful, big uh, canopy shade tree. The the red flowers are just amazing. They'll get to about, oh, look, 10, um, 10 metres here. Okay, so yeah. a fairly decent height. Yeah, not... fairly decent. But it's, it's more the spread of them than the height of them. Uh, they do just get that thing where, you know, you could plant one in the middle of your front yard and it would just be like this umbrella out over the rest of the uh, the grass or the yard uh, and just look spectacular. Oh, brilliant. A L- little bit slow growing, a little bit uh, susceptible to the frost, but uh, they certainly will grow here. Uh, you do see them, uh, you become aware of them uh, like January, February when they come out and flower here. In Brisbane and up the coast, they're actually out and flower now, so they're just a little bit later here. Uh, but yeah, look, a really magnificent plant. That's called the the poinciana. Uh, yeah, look, they're actually a native to Madagascar, but uh, will grow very, very successfully. Excellent, and better than the jacaranda. Much better than jacaranda. The other thing I'd suggest to do is, uh, you know, in in winter, if we're getting cold winds or a frost, uh, just go and toss an old. Uh, sheet a white sheet over it just to protect it Uh, they are deciduous so they will lose their leaves down here uh, in newcastle during winter excellent so the poinciana the poinciana Poinciana. tree we're back to me correcting you about pronunciation Uh, now what what was that lasagna had last week it was very very tasty (laughs) the sauce on top was very very nice and we've got barry from caves beach and he's got a question about tomatoes hello barry how can we help you scott i have four tomato plants three of them has got fruit on them, and the fourth one has got that many flowers on it, it doesn't matter, but they're not coming to fruit. What varieties have you got, and are they all the same variety, mate? No, all 
separate varieties. Okay, well, yeah, that, that's going to be your answer there um, as to why they're, they're flowering and fruiting at slightly different times. And the great thing is you've got the flowers on there and they're definitely going to turn into fruit for you. Uh, it's just, you know, just the timing of, of that particular plant. Which varieties did you put in, mate? Uh, I'd have to go out and look at it. Oh, that, that, that's all right. Did you put in uh, some of them, are, you know, the tall uh, the one? tall one's the big red. Oh, very nice. Yeah, that's a that's really nice the one. one that's not uh, coming to fruit. There's plenty of flowers, yep. but no fruit. Well, look, that's fantastic. Just keep on watering it, especially if it's going to get hot again tomorrow, uh, yes. just so it doesn't drop any of those flowers. Uh, yes. but, yeah, look, it's all going to uh, to work out very well there yeah, for well, you. I've got a 5,000 litre uh, water tank here, so I can water them any time of the day. Yeah, beautiful. Keep on doing that. And you know when you've got uh, tomatoes on the vine, uh, consistent watering is the thing with them. If you let them dry out and, uh, you know, then water them, that's when they can split their skins of the actual yes. fruit. So it's always important to consistently water your tomatoes. Mm. Uh, and may look uh, just uh, protect from the fruit fly as well because once they start to uh, you know go from that hard green and get a bit of color in them yes. that's when you, the fruit fly will start to attack so make sure you're trapping and spraying at the same at that time yes, to I, keep it under control yes i spray them with an organic spray uh, excellent okay so that's exactly the thing to do and uh, look we often talk about the the fruit fly um, recipe that we've got here, the Vegemite and Malathon in the Malathon, yeah. yeah, in the takeaway container, and hang those around the area. Mm. Or uh, as Jude sometimes suggests, to actually paint it on the stake. Um, yes. but, yeah, look, so look, it, it all works, and you have to just do it in concert so that uh, you're getting the fruit fly uh, under control. Right. Thanks very much, Scott. Okay. Good on you, Barry. Thanks for the call, right. mate. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye bye. Always like the painting aspect of it. Yeah, now the only thing I'm, I'm going to pull Jude up on about that is I would think that it would dry out very quickly. Oh, yeah, because it would be indirect sun. Yeah, yeah. it's not like you're sort of smearing on, on toast with butter or anything on underneath, and we're certainly not advocating you do that with Vegemite and Malathon. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I, I reckon my idea is better. Right, okay, yep, yeah, I, in a bucket. Yeah, I'm going to plump for myself here and say that uh, I'm, I'm the cleverest one. I so think in the, sort of like a plastic container. Sort plas- of. Yeah, so it doesn't dry out. I'm thinking on the steak, it'd dry out too much. Maybe but, if you shaded it or... or that, no, that's, that's too much. Yeah, but even the steak would actually soak in. Oh, yeah, soak the, all the pl- stuff in, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, so look, I think my idea is definitely much better than Jude's idea. Oh, yeah, now, now you've explained it. Yeah, it's a wonder you didn't say it to me before. Yours is a much better idea, Scott. Now that it's been explained, so... Putting it in a bucket's the way to go. I think, yeah, in the old uh, in the old plastic takeaway container is the way to go with it. Excellent. And we've got Doug from Charlestown. He needs advice about how to keep possums off a tree. Hello, Doug. What's ha- what's happening out there at Charlestown, mate? Oh, Scott, we've got uh, a number of possums that eat our roses and all sorts of things, but my daughter gave me a New Zealand Christmas bush a few years ago. Yes. And it's up to about three to four metres high, just a nice tree size, and the possums are eating all the new growth. And it's dying off a bit in parts. And I just want to know whether it's better to cut the branches off that they've seemed to have decimated. Yes. Or just let the tree off, giving it fertiliser and giving it a bit of attention. And there's still a fair bit of the tree that's alive and still new growth there. But I don't know whether I should cut the old dead growth off or leave it. So that, that growth, when you say, is it actually dead and gone to hard wood now? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I would give that a cut back. Just start pruning back until you get into the green growth again. Um, what are you fertilising your Christmas bush with? Uh, 
provide just some um, all-purpose sort of fertiliser the a dynamic lifter and that. Okay, so just be careful because they are a native. So you did say New South Wales Christmas bush, didn't you? And uh, New Zealand. New Zealand, oh, okay, there we go. Uh, it's one of the possums like it. They're not very liked in New Zealand anyway, so uh, that's, yeah. Oh, Kiwi told me that they love them over there. Oh. They've got to put rings around their tree trunks to stop them getting up there. Yeah, well, look, and that was going to be the other thing I was going to suggest. What about creating some sort of physical barrier uh, to try and keep the, the possums from getting up there? Um, I put some glad wrap around the trunk, put Vicks all over it, yeah. which seems to hang around for a while. And they, I know they don't like that. And they don't like um, blood and bone. So I put blood and bone hanging socks in the tree and uh, sprayed it with some repellent stuff. So I, they seem to have left it alone at the moment, but I'm just wanting to know whether I should cut it back or leave it. Yeah, look, I'd definitely cut it back. The other thing I was thinking about is a physical barrier. You know, when you, your cat or your dog's been to the vet and, you know, they get those sort of plastic collars that they stick on there to stop them attacking yeah. or licking the wound. I'm wondering if you could get one of those and uh, right. you know, try and fix it to the, the trunk of the tree as well so the, the possums can't really get up and over it. Oh, they're clever little buggers. They can... Uh... Oh yeah, they'll, they'll they'll jump. Some of them can even fly. Apparently, I've, I've heard that the, the sugar glider. Uh, but yeah, look, I, I'd give you your plant a prune back. Keep on feeding it as you are, just to try and promote new growth, and uh, yeah, try and create some sort of physical barrier to keep the possums away. Okay, Scott, thanks for that. Okay, mate, you have a nice afternoon. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. And we've got Glennis from Raymond Terrace, and she's got a question about hydrangeas. Hello, Glennis. How can we help you? Oh, hi, Scott. Um, I got a new hydrangea about three weeks ago, just before that really hot, dry winds that we had. Yes. And I planted it in a cool night in um, in a situation where it gets early morning sun and, and not a lot of heat in the afternoon. But it's looking very sick, and I'm wondering what I can do about it. Uh, look, I, I, it is just going to be the the really dry conditions that we've had. Uh, the best thing you can do with a hydrangea is get it into a shady spot and keep on watering it. Uh, that's really all you can do with them uh, when we've got the winds and the, the dry conditions that we've got at the moment. Yeah, cool. That's what I've been doing, but I've just thought, oh, maybe I've killed it. <laughs> no, look, just don't don't let it dry out. And even if it does drop its leaves, uh, you know, chances are it'll come back anyway. You'll yeah. see new shoots coming on. So, look, definitely don't give up on it. Uh, it's just a case of it's been dry, it's been hot, yeah. it's been windy, uh, all of yeah. those bad things for plants. Uh, but it will come good. Uh, protected spot, some shade, some water, yeah. and you'll be fine with it. Thank you. Would it pay to um, cut off the um, existing flowers that are on it? Uh, look, if they're just starting to wilt off, uh, you certainly can do that uh, because yeah. often once it gets like, you know, those conditions, the, the flowers are the first things to go. So if they're looking a bit yeah. sad and tired, just cut them off now and be done with it. All right. Thank you very much for your help. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thanks, Glenn. We've got Lee now from the Lake Macquarie and she's got a question about the red flowering mallow. Hello, Lee. How can we help? Uh, hi, Scott. Um, I've got a question about the red flowering mallow, which I've had the Department of Prime and Instees um, identify, yes. so I couldn't find out what it was. Um, how to get rid of it um, without killing everything in your garden? Yeah, that's that's going to be really difficult. It, it is a it is a weed here in, in Australia, um, yes. and it does get that pretty little sort of peachy flower on it, unfortunately. But yeah, it, it will spread out uh, throughout the garden. Uh, so is it in amongst other plants? And It is. And I, um, so my garden's sort of really in a microclimate. It's quite interesting. So it's amongst 
um, anything from Japanese cherry blossoms to fruit trees to cycads. Um, you can watch it grow. I mean, literally when it rains, rainforest conditions, um, it, it literally, you know, grows half a metre. I mean, yeah. it's an exaggeration, but it's just really virulent. And, and the reason um, it's such a quick grow is because it is actually a native of South America. So, when, yeah, like you said, once it gets those warm, wet conditions, that's what it, it exactly loves. Uh, right. the, the only tools, unfortunately, we have at our disposal uh, you know, to is to physically pull it out, and I know that's going to be difficult, or to use, you know, Roundup of some sort uh, to try and keep it under control. Um, right. There are other um, sort of organic um, herbicides that you can get. And, oh, right. Okay. Uh, now, one of those is called Slasher. There's quite a number of different varieties uh, out there in the market now. And right. effectively, they're, I guess the best way to describe them is oil based uh, so uh, you spray them over the plant and it actually just the sun just beats down and burns the leaf of the weed away uh, so it's okay. safe to use around roses uh, it's not so bad if uh, you know you accidentally spray on some on one of your other plants it won't go down through the system of the plant it will just burn off those particular leaves the only trouble with it is that uh, you can burn it off but then the the weed can come back so you just have to be quite persistent with those ones but they are i guess safer to use uh, in your garden when uh, you know rather than the uh, systemic herbicides like roundup uh, where right. they you can if you know your aim's not too good they can get onto other plants Oh, I see, because I, I don't use any um, any sort of pesticides or herbicides So because I have, you know, definitely the lizards and, yeah. um, you know, like even foxes or anything, and I'm in suburbia. So I don't really want to do that. So that that's really helpful. So slasher, because usually I go to um, sort of anyone that I ask, they haven't even heard of it. Yeah, so there's a particular there, weed. Yeah, there's one called slasher. It, it, it will work. Um, it just you spray it on. Uh, it's mm-hmm. obviously best to do it on a hot sunny day. We're getting plenty of those at the Come moment. Tomorrow, yeah, yeah. tomorrow. Uh, yeah. And you, you spray that on, and you'll just see it just start to burn and shrivel up. Uh, from memory, one of them also had a pine oil. It was pine oil based. Ah. So you can see what they're doing. They're not actually going in and, and destroying the the plant from inside like Roundup does. It's merely just burning the weed away as much as possible and hopefully it dies so that's why i'm saying you have to be persistent so if you see new growth coming back on you have to get out there and give it another shot and try and keep on burning it away but it's look it certainly does work and the yams underneath will that um sort of integrate into the, the yams or do you just got to keep on pulling those up yeah you have to keep on pulling those up that's that's the big problem with slasher and these organic based ones that i'm talking about is they do only burn the leaf structure away and hopefully you kill things in underneath the ground right. uh, and that's why if you can uh, you know get a clear shot with the roundup i think you are best to use that uh, to try and get this under control ah uh, wonderful look scott thank you so much um i'll keep, persevere keep on doing it <laughs> okay good luck <laughs> lovely with it. thank you okay thanks thank Lee. you bye-bye bye it's Gardening Talk back on to when you are FM. If you've got a question for Scott Sharp, 49216216. And we've got Leonie from a Heat and Greeter. She's got a question about the rhubarb. Hello, Leonie. How can we help you? I'm, I'm wondering. I know I'm pretty sure now is not the time to divide up rhubarb, but when is the time to divide rhubarb up? Yeah, so rhubarb you uh, usually divide up, oh, look, I guess back uh, in August is the best time coming into spring. Uh, look, that's not to say that you can't divide it now and it will keep on growing. Obviously, you just won't get the crop that you would normally get uh, if you disturb the, uh, the the plant at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's just that it's, it's, I don't know, it's a bit hard to know how many crowns there really is in there, but it's just yeah. so so together and clumpy. And it's not really producing heaps anyway, so I sort of thought that perhaps if I divided it, it would be 
it would produce a little bit better. Well, it does. It, it sort of freshens and frees up the plant a little bit. The only trouble with dividing it at this time is when it's dry and hot is that, you know, you're going to be disturbing the root system. The plant's going to be a little bit stressed by doing that. Yeah, uh, so yeah. your, your division is going to have to be very careful where you're not, you know, pulling it apart where you're actually trying to cut down through, uh, you know, that uh, crown and, and cut it up into nice, neat um, sections without disturbing the root system as much as possible. Um, but look, yeah, give it a go. Certainly, it, it, you know, pruning and cutting and dividing a plant uh, does generate new growth. And uh, with a rhubarb, you know, it is, it is important to, uh, to try and freshen them up as much as possible. Yeah, but uh, I'm thinking I might not do it now when it's just so hot because I, I'm sort of concerned that I might end up losing it. But yeah, and that, probably and when it cools down a bit next year. Perhaps. Yeah, and that's the danger. That's why you generally do it in August, September, before it gets to these hot times. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, thanks, Leonie. Have a nice afternoon. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. We've got Ron now from Port Stephens, and he's got a question about the finger lime tree. Hi, hi, Scott. I've got a finger lime tree which I've had in my garden for just over two and a half years. Um, it's a healthy-looking plant, um, but it's never grown in height. I bought it when it was probably about half a metre in height, and it just hasn't grown any taller. So I'm wondering what is the reason why it's just not growing in height. Yeah, so um, finger limes are beautiful. They're like the, the caviar of the plant world, aren't they? You sort of open them up and you get those little juicy little um, round things in there, little seeds to eat, and they are beautiful. Describe your soil conditions to me, Ron, because you're up at Port Stephens, aren't you? Yes, yes, and it's very sandy around this area, and in fact the garden has got a lot of very sort of sandy soil, which I believe is ideal for citrus plants. Um, it grows in an area which receives full sun, and I feed it regularly. Um, uh, it's a very healthy-looking plant. It's got lots of foliage, and it's a sort of dark, rich-looking green, but it just won't grow in height. Yeah, so now you mentioned other citrus plants. So finger lime's slightly different to you know, your lemons and your oranges that you get in that they actually do prefer a bit of shade because they are a sort of a rainforest understory plant. Um, so that, that's why I'm thinking, you know, in the sand up there uh, at Port Stephens, it probably needs some richer soil for it to grow into and also getting it out of uh, the sun, maybe, you know, in the afternoon in summer from one or two o'clock if you've got a position uh, where you might be able to move it to. And it sounds like you could move it. You could even put it into a pot if you wanted to. Um, yeah. Because by doing that, then you can control, you know, your soil and just how rich your soil is by using a good potting mix. Uh, so, look, I, I would think that's going to be your problem up there at Port Stephens. Uh, it just needs to be in some richer soil and possibly uh, into a, a shadier spot as well. Okay, so when you say richer soil, sort of organic and uh, commercial sort of uh, feeder, that type of thing? Yeah, just a, a more organic soil. Uh, look, you could start mulching around the plant to try and build it up that way and start tilling that through the soil using some manures, uh, mushroom compost even, uh, around the plant. Um, so, yeah, look, there's a number of things you could do if you didn't want to dig it out and put it into a pot. Uh, to try and build up the soil, but you're always going to be playing catch up there uh, with the uh, the soil conditions up at Port Stephens. Right. Okay. Yeah, I know it's sandy soil doesn't lend itself to a lot of things, but I thought citrus might be the uh, exception. But still, uh, okay. Oh well, thank you very much for that advice. That's all right. Not a problem, Ron. Thank you. Okay. Cheers. Thank you. Bye.
It's Guarding Talk back on 2 in your RFM. If you've got a question for Scott Sharp, 49216216. And we've got Kel from Belford. He's got a question about Flinderasia australiaris. Australis, yeah. Australis. Yeah, very good. Uh, Kel, how can we yeah. help you? Yeah, good day, Scott. How are you going? Yeah, very well, mate. That's good. Um, I've got a tree out the back. Um, oh, it's probably been in the ground for now about 10 years, mm-hmm. but it's got this brown colouring at the base of the tree and about... Uh, 12 inches high up the up from the base of the tree, and it's not looking too good either. So I'm just wondering what that is. When you say brown colouring, how can you give us a bit more of a description about that? Or um, it's not really. It's what it is. Um, brown colouring. Plus, it looks like a little bit of it's struggling the tree. You can yeah. see that, um, and a little bit of um, gooey stuff probably around the base of the tree too. Yeah, okay. So it sounds like you might have borer in there in that case uh, if you're getting yep. gooey stuff coming out. Uh, so if you have a pick around, it might be that, uh, you know, the bark's starting to flake off in that area and you might start to find some holes or some tracks yep. where those borers are going up through the trunk. Uh, mm. How big and old is your tree, mate? Because they can get very, very large. Uh, they can. Yeah. About, I've had it in the ground about 10 years probably at okay. least. Um, it's not the greatest soil, it's clay soil. Yeah. So, um, but it is. the others are fine that are next to it and around it, um, but just this particular one. Yeah, so, I mean, the uh, I always call it like a Australian teak, this, this particular planet. It is yep. um, a rainforest tree. Um, yep. So in clay soils, it, it's always going to struggle and probably won't ever get to its, its, its full height. Uh, and and that could be what's happening with it at the moment, uh, especially once all that, you know, the clay starts to dry out in these conditions and the plants is going off, you know, where am I getting the nutrients? Where am I getting the moisture from at this point in time? Yeah. Uh, look, the only thing I can suggest is uh, look to have to have a pick away at that bark and see what you can find. If you can find some holes and tracks yeah. there, uh, you can then get an insecticide like Malathon and actually oh, yeah. try and inject with a syringe, uh, you know, just without a needle in it, obviously, and into those holes and try and get that poison moving up into the tree to try and kill any borers that are in that area. The other right. thing you would also do is then get some wood putty from the hardware store and try and seal up those holes. The other product you can get is called Steriprune, uh, and you can either get that in a pressure pack or in a little uh, sort of tin, and it's a tar-based paint, and it just seals up... Uh, you know those areas where the bark might have come off to stop any further borer activity getting in there. Uh, so, mate, it's a bit of a three-pronged approach there. Yep. You need uh, the, the poisoning, uh, the wood putty, and some of that steri prune. Yep. And if possible, I'd, and I'm not really sure how you're going to do it with a tree that size. You know, it needs to be well watered. And really, the only way that's going to happen at the moment is uh, you know for the, for the heavens to open up upon us. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, look, if, oh, that's why I was asking if it was a tree, you know, one or two years old. Well, you can effectively get out there with a, a sprinkler or a hose and try and deep water it over a period of time. But once you start getting to a, a much larger plant like that, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're not going to have uh, much luck at all. Yeah, right. No worries. Okay, but look, yeah, just, Sorry. That's right. Just try and make the plant healthy, healthy mulch around it. And, uh, yeah, look, just hope for some rain. Yeah, good on you, Scott. Okay. Thanks very much for your time, Scott. Thanks, so Good luck with it, mate. And we've got Frank from Charlestown, and he's got a question about the gum tree. Hello. Yeah, g'day, Scott. Hey, Frank, um, how can we help, mate? Mate, I've got this young um, flowering ironbark. Yes. And it's probably two or three years old. And it's about three and a half metres high. And it's spindly. You know, it's, it's, the, the, um, the trunk 
would only be about 20, 25 mil, but it's so tall and it's that tall that it can't support itself, you know, it wants to bow to the sun all the time. Yes, yes. Um, what could, should I stake it? You know, put a really, really big stake up and loosely tie it and try and hold it that way because it's you know it's like a, a man bent in the middle at the moment but I, I would stake it I, I would definitely not prune it because as soon as you go pruning a, a gum tree you lose those leader you know main leaders going up and you just get a very untidy shape and you actually get a weaker tree by doing that yeah uh, so look i would uh i would stake it uh using a big stake um allow it to have some movement um within that staking uh so you use yeah. some jute webbing you know that big wide jute webbing and just let it so it moves around in there but just that it's held up uh a little bit straight uh, than yeah. it is now yeah. um mate what are your soil conditions like there is it oh it's real scrubby sort of you know pretty uh heavy clay i've, yeah. I've tried to put some gypsum and stuff around it but it's, uh, yeah, it's not real good territory. Yeah, so look, they, they will handle pretty, you know, poor soil conditions, but clay soil, they, they certainly don't like that. So keep up with the gypsum. You can get a liquid gypsum as well. Right. And, uh, mate, the other thing to do is get a bag of blood and bone and just periodically uh, sprinkle some blood and bone around the, the plant because that'll feed it and doesn't harm uh, native plants. Okay, good. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you about a fertiliser for it. Yep. Good stuff. Okay, mate. Well, good luck with it. Uh, thank, thank you kindly. But otherwise, yeah, iron bark. You're not going to kill it, um, but you yeah, just need to give it a, a little bit of a, a guide, you know, guide here at this point in time as to which way it needs to go and feed it just to try and build it up. Okay, but thanks, definitely don't prune it. Okay, thanks for that. Good on you. Thanks, Bye. Frank. Bye. Just thanks, Frank. We've got Emmanuel now from Bad Al Bay, and he's got a question about tomatoes too. Hey, Emmanuel, yeah, how, uh, how can we help, mate? Every every year, the tomato. Comes the fly or whatever, it gets hold and then it rot every year, even the green one. What, um, what's happened? I know. Yeah, look, you're absolutely right, Emmanuel. They do seem to get into the tomatoes when they're green. You know, you've, they've almost just formed from the flower into the tomato, and the fruit fly are in there. They must be getting stronger the way that they can burrow in now. Uh, mate, what are you doing to try and keep it under control? I do, I do the, uh, what do you call it, the powder, the tomato powder. Yes. You know? And watering just about at the moment every day, like you know. Yeah, look, and the watering's important to uh, you know to keep your plant nice and healthy. Uh, earlier on, we were talking about uh, making up some traps as well, so you can dust, you can spray. But we were talking about making up uh, a, a trap uh, using a takeaway plastic container and Greg came up with some other ideas about uh, other containers that we could use as well. Use half a milk carton? Yeah, milk carton. Get the cardboard yeah. ice cream containers yeah. as well. And so with those, you get some Vegemite because that attracts the fruit fly in and with that uh, Vegemite, you mix some malathon in there so it makes a little bit of a paste. And what happens, the Vegemite attracts the, the fruit fly in, the female one. She comes in uh, has goes for the Vegemite, but of course gets the malathon and dies there. And it really does work. Uh, a lot of people ring into us and say, you know, great idea, Greg and Scott, you've done well. Um, thumbs up. And it keep you're doing it, um, you're doing the trapping, you're doing the spraying and the dusting, and it will keep it under control and make it better for you. I thought because I do it every year, every year I do it the same place. Maybe some in the soil or not. No, no, it's not in the soil. But you could have a neighbour, for instance, who you know they're not looking after their tomatoes or not looking after their citrus plant, and they're letting 
you know, lemons sit on the ground and rot, and that's when you will get a lot of fruit fly in the area. Uh, so oh, look, there's not much you can do about that, but what you can do is try and keep your own borders nice and safe by doing the, the dusting, the spraying, and the trapping um, with that little oh. Vegemite paste oh. that we've just described. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, okay. good luck with it this year, mate. Give us a call and tell us how you go. Okay, thank you. Thanks, thank Emmanuel. You. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I think we might be able to fit John in from East Maitland and he needs some advice about getting rid of slaters in his garden. Cute little slaters. John, how can we help? What's going on? John, uh, uh, in the the veggie garden, uh, I'm finding that I can't get seedlings going very well in most cases because the slaters attack them. Some some types of seedlings they don't worry about, but uh, like beetroot and things like that. Yeah, where they're just... uh, and it's, right into it. and it's one of those double-edged swords because slaters can actually be quite good for the garden because they're processing, you know, and creating organic matter in there. They eat stuff and then they, they pull it out the back end and that's actually very good for your garden. Um, but look, you, you can just use a, a slug, um, snail and slater um, killer if you want to. Um, you know, just the pelletised one, and that will keep them under control and get rid of them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, look, it's, it is one of those double-edged swords where, you, you know, you want them, but, uh, you know, they also can do some damage as well. So, yeah, use those um, those killers there. All right, Al, we're going to have to say goodbye to John there. We've run out of time again, yeah, Scott Sharp. No, and the slaters are so cute the way they curl up. Oh, aren't they what? Yeah. Can you eat slaters? I don't know how good they taste. Someone must, but we'll find out about that. I'm sure someone has tasted one at one time. Fried them up. I'll see you next week. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>